morning, everyone. Sam, uh, so Sam didn't chastise me, but he did tell me, he goes, you know, you need to introduce yourself. He goes, not everybody knows you, you know, after last time. So I'm Zach, okay? I've been uh, one of the pastors here at Reve for many years, I'll say that. Um, and uh, about two years ago, I uh, moved down to Denver, and I only come up and speak about every month, month and a half now. So um, I have a wife and three teenage kids, and um, I am a missionary helping plant churches around the U.S. So that's kind of what I do. That's my little introduction, and if Sam watches later, then he'll know that I did it. So um, we are in a series called Seeing the Invisible. It's been going on, uh, this is the fourth week, although we had a little break last week because of the missionary speaker. You know, my daughter turned 16, my middle daughter, those, a lot of you know her, uh, in November. And she had um, bought a car over the summer that she'd been saving up for years of babysitting and all this stuff. It wasn't a nice car, you know, but it was what she could afford. And so then she turned 16 and she got her license so she could start driving. So this is like end of November. And the other thing about her turning 16, not just the transition from driving, but also ever since they were little, like younger than Bianca, I have been indoctrinating them, my daughters. You can't date till you're 16. Once she turned 16, I realized I should have said 18 <laughs> or, or 30, you know. But, you know, I mean, my sister-in-law is still single, so I don't want them single forever. So I had to pick a number, you know what I mean? Like, so I said 16. 21. Yeah, I said 16, and it came way too fast. And this young boy came according and uh, asked if, you know, they, they asked if, if they could, you know, start dating. So she had her first official boyfriend, like maybe uh, three weeks or so after she turned 16, okay? And the day before Christmas, so this is like end of November, day before Christmas... Her car, who she called Brenda, <laughs> Brenda blew up. The day after Christmas, the boy broke up with her. This was not a Merry Christmas around our house, okay? And, you know, in all of the wisdom that I can give her as a father is, I mean, the reality is the boy she dates when she's 16, very unlikely to be the man she marries, okay? And also, you know, relationships are tough, and they have, like, high reward, but high risk. I mean, you know, I would assume that most everyone here has been through a breakup, okay? You know, they can be rough, they can be hard, you know, but we still put ourselves out there because, you know, we want to try. Maybe, uh, like, if you can think about this, too, we've all had times where we've lost a job. We've all had times where we've experienced loss. And in the midst of all of this, we've all asked the question, where is God in all of this, right? And in the midst of, and, and I know we're talking about teenage breakups here, okay? But, like, I think that experience of feeling like, the trials, the fire, the, 
the tribulations that happen in our lives, that I think in the midst of that question, and I'll tell you, I mean, it has been, what are, what are we in now, March? She's still all broken up about it. You know, she's still not over it, you know. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this relationship lasted, what, 10 days? Like, you know, so, uh, not, I mean, don't tell her I said that. But <laughs> she won't watch the video. <laughs> watch a sermon online? Oh, okay. Now, um, she's barely not on her phone when they're, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, don't tell her I said that either. All right, so, <laughs> so you know, but I think we've all had times where we have just faced struggles, trials, hardships, difficulties, hard situations, and we know that in the midst of that, it's easy to ask the question, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? And a lot of times, I mean, it's even with more serious things where, you know, a a death of a loved one or when you go through a, a, a severe illness or something like that. I think we all have been to that kind of question. Now, what I... I want to talk a little bit out of Exodus this morning, and I know Sam did last week. I, I watched online, okay, so last week, so I'm, or, or two weeks ago, so we're, I'm up to speed with everything. But um, So Joshua is uh, leading the people into the promised land, and I know those of you, who was here two weeks ago? Remember Sam talking about camping and the bugs and like, you know, the wilderness, you know? So they're in the wilderness, and it, it says the next morning, The area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it, and they said, what is it? They asked each other, and they had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it's the food the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, wait, a minute ago I said Joshua. It's Moses here. We'll get to Joshua in a second. But um, So this, this stuff, okay, this manna, and uh, the, the, they ended up calling the food manna. And manna, do you guys know what manna means? It means what is it? That's exactly right. It means what's this? Like, what's that? You know, <laughs> like, what is it? You know, smart kid. All right, so like, and, and that's what they said. They, they looked down and they're like, what's this? And I don't know about you, but at what point do you as an adult look out, see something on the ground and decide to eat it? Like, you know, but they, they go, uh, what is this? You know, and, and Moses says, you know, it's, it's the food that God's given you to eat. And, and in the wilderness, you got to think about this. In all of the stuff Sam was talking about where they were in the wilderness, where it was hard, where it was dusty, where they're traveling and the tents and all that. Like throughout that entire time, every morning, God is providing food to eat in the form of this miracle that they name manna or what is this? They, they name it that, and they're eating for 40 years from this manna. And in fact, they get to a point where they kind of don't like the manna anymore. And it, they, now, it, it, is, it supposedly tastes like honey wafers and coriander. It's white like coriander seed. I don't know. No one really knows what manna tastes like. But assuming it tasted good in the beginning, because that's how they describe it. But then they got a little sick of it. But 40 years they're eating from this food. And I think for us today, when we think about manna from heaven, like the provision of God from heaven, like it's like the, the manna was a visible sign of the provision and the miracle of God. Like it's visible, something they could see every morning. Now they would skip the Sabbath, but that's just like, you know, we'll, we'll just imagine it's every morning. But like they could get up and they could see 
the visible provision of God. It was the visible providing. And I think we have all had experiences where we could see God's hand in things, even not, maybe not in the time, but even in hindsight, where we can look and go, hey, you know what? God took care of me here. You know, there was this hard thing and I got through it. You know, hopefully my daughter <laughs> and sometime will look back and go, hey, you know what? There was something else that was better. But I think when we see the visible hand of God in our lives, it's easy to say, I believe, I, I like this, I want to be, I understand who God is. But when we look at what's visible, that doesn't require any faith. Like it doesn't require faith for people to look down on the ground and see that the food had been provided. That already happened. So we're going to fast forward now, and we're in Joshua, like I was saying a minute ago. And it says, while the Israelites were camping at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover. Okay, now hold on for a second. What's happening here is they had just crossed the River Jordan. Okay, And if you know the story, some of you might, what happens is they start to cross the river and the river recedes and they walk across the, the river, which is a total miracle. It's kind of like when they escaped Israel and the Red Sea. It's like that again now, but it's 40 years later. And all these people who didn't cross the Red Sea, because these were all people who weren't there then, it's like the next generation, they all got to see that miracle too. They get to the other side of the land, and when they get to the other side, it's now like they're just, that's the first time they're actually in the promised land, like the official promised land. And they get across there, and they're, in this section they're camping. What happens in the chapter before is that Joshua like reinstitutes the practice of circumcision which because the whole time in the wilderness, they hadn't done it. But this was like an important thing. Like it was a mark of that they were the people of God. It was only the, the Jews who did this. They were the ones who were like the ones marked by God. And so, so, but 40 years had passed and they hadn't been doing that. And so it says, you know, Joshua, he sharpens flint knives and he circumcises all the men. Which, you know... Then they rest from their, you know, to heal up and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know about Joshua, but I'm thinking, man, 40,000, that's how many soldiers there were, 40,000 circumcisions. Dude, how tired would your arm be, you know? It's like, I got circumcision carpal tunnel, you know? He's got one of those wrist wraps, the repetitive stress syndrome, you know? Like, how many knives did he go through, you know? Like, you sterilization, you know, all these thoughts are going through my head, you know, but now they're camping, okay, so on the, the plains of Gilgal there, and it says they celebrated the Passover. So this is the other thing that they're doing is they're like reinstituting these practices of what it means for them to be the people of God now that they're in the pro promised land, you know, some of them painful, <laughs> others just more nice like getting to celebrate the Passover. And it says, um, the very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. So like they cross over, they're camping, they're circumcising, they're healing, you know, all this stuff. They plant crops and they begin to eat from the land, okay? And when, when this happens in the journey of the Israelites, then the, the, the same, you know, so we're in like 11, but it's now 12, it says, the very next day, no manna appeared, and they ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again, okay? Now, when they crossed into the promised land, all of a sudden, the manna stops. 
And you think about this, like this was a 40-year-long sign of the visible provision of God. How do you feel when that stops? How do you feel when the manna dries up, goes away? You know, and I get it. Maybe they're a little sick of it by now, but at some point you got to think, man, I can no longer see God providing for me every morning when I wake up with this substance on the ground. Like every day they could see it. And all of a sudden the manna stopped. And the day that the manna stopped was the day they really began to live in their promise. And the physical, visible miracle is gone. But it made a way for a miracle that was so much greater, which was that they were in the promised land. Because the very next chapter from here, they go to the walls of Jericho, the walls come, come crumbling down, and they begin to inhabit the promised land. I mean, they live in the promise of God. But all of that was precipitated on the fact that the manna had stopped. The daily visible action of God in their lives had stopped. And they had to face trials. They had to face giants. They had to, all of the things that they were afraid of the first time around when they went into the promised land, now they're there. And they had to fight the giants. They had to face the battles. They had to go into the thing that God had called them to do. And I'll tell you, it's harder to plant crops, harvest them, and then prepare them than it is to just have it sitting there every morning. It's harder. You know, and anyone who, who's ever grown into, like they've got this hashtag, it's called uh, adulting. You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I saying it right? Is there any youths? In, no, they're all at fine arts. Okay. Adulting. I, I saw someone online the other day, they wrote, doing my taxes, hashtag adulting. You know, like, I don't know at what point I started having to adult, you know, but it's true. It sucks sometimes, you know, like every time you got to do your taxes, every time you got to pay your bills, every time you got to fold your laundry or, or make your own, like that's hard. But that is part of the passage of becoming an adult. In the same way, the people of God had to do more things. It was harder. It was more difficult, but it was part of the process of becoming the people of God that they were always meant to be. And so and I want, to, I want to key in on this, is that the day that the manna stopped was the day that redemption began for the Israelites. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is asked about manna, okay? He, it, it's one of the sections, you know, so if you, if you look, we'll be in John chapter 6, but Jesus is asked about manna. But let me just set, set up the, uh, the, the stage here a little bit for, for what's happening. Jesus in John 6 had just fed the 5,000, okay? So miracle, right? Miracle of food being provided, feeding the 5,000. And like everyone was like, or is the loaves and fishes, you know, the story? Okay, story is he takes these two loaves and these fishes and he breaks it out and feeds 5,000 people. Okay, so that's the miracle. That had happened. And then all of a sudden, Jesus like disappears, you know? Like it's like in Harry Potter where he touches a port key and he's on the other side, you know? Like, I don't know how it worked, but he's like somewhere else. They like hunt him down and they find him, and this big crowd of people follow Jesus. And Jesus, kind of like when they show up, he gets a little bit like testy with them, you know? I don't know how if Jesus can be testy. He's perfect. But, you know, like he gets a little bit like he goes, hey, you know, you're just following me because I fed you. And he goes, I'll tell you what. If you believe in me, you'll have something so much greater than food. And this whole thing that Jesus is doing is like, yeah, I fed you. It was a miracle. But the food, the visible 
isn't what's important. What's more important is that you believe in me. And you know what they do? They're like, we would believe in you if you just give us a sign. Like, you know, and then, and then we get to this verse here. And this is them saying to Jesus, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's like, like, wouldn't that be great? You could just provide us like a sign so that we can believe, so that we can know that something was, and I remember being a kid. I don't know if any of you did this, but I had went to church and I was like, I fully believed that God was real. I had no doubt, no doubt. But just like because I was a kid, I took like two of my toy trucks off the ground and I held them up and I was like, God, if you're real, make these trucks float. And I let go and you know what happened? They fell. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't disbelieve God. I was like, God, why didn't you make those float? Like, that's what you were supposed to do, right? (laughs) And the thing is, Faith, like part of faith, requires invisible. Like part of having faith is this thing that we have to believe in something we can't see. If it's believing in something you can see, that's not faith, that's just fact, okay? But part of our spiritual lives is believing in this invisible thing that is around us. And so he said, so they say, Hey, here's a great idea. Moses, manna, boom. No one's seen it for thousands of years, whatever. He goes, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven, talking about himself, and gives life to the world. And I believe for us, we're in a situation when it comes to our life of faith that we have to allow the invisible to stay invisible. We have to allow for the refining of God in our lives. I think, wouldn't it be easy if every time we had a financial difficulty, every time we had a relationship problem, every time we had a a problem with a, a coworker, a friend at work, a family situation, every time we could just snap our fingers and God fixes it. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, wouldn't that be nice to just... But how would that allow for the refinement of who we are supposed to be in God? I remember in the process of when we were first starting out with Reve, I was thinking, praying actually to God. I was like, God, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here, if we are doing the thing you've called us to do, and I remember thinking that that we we were, so I wasn't doubting that. I wasn't wondering if we were doing the wrong thing. I really knew we were doing the right thing. But I was like, if we're doing the right thing, why is this so hard? And I remember as I was praying that, I was like in my basement and I had like the unused weight set <laughs> over in the corner. And I looked over at the weights and I thought about that. that and, and that's where I felt God answer. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard because I'm building something in you, in all of you. And I just remember thinking that visual of that barbell going up not with like weights on it but just like even by itself (laughs) like that's hard that's heavy it's supposed to be difficult because it's doing something in you and jesus is saying to the to the people who are asking him for a sign he goes i'll tell you something it wasn't moses who gave the bread it was my father and and now he offers you the true bread from heaven and the next 
uh, the next section here, it says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And when I think about that, that God provided this bread from heaven, the manna, for people to eat, in the same way he provided Jesus, came down from heaven, Jesus calling himself the bread of life. And he says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And I think every day we have this choice to choose between the manna and to choose Jesus. Like, we choose the thing that we can see or we choose the thing that we can't see, but the blessing is greater in the invisible. And the day that the manna stopped, remember, was the day that redemption began. And I think in our own lives, we can say the same thing. That when we stop asking God for a bailout in every hard situation, it really allows for true redemption to happen in our lives. Um, on Monday, you, you guys may not uh, know this about your pastor, but, but Sam is a... Um, uh, what, what was the word? I heard it on a TED Talk recently. It's a uh, multi-potentialite. That's it. Multi-potentialite. Meaning he's very good and interested in lots of things. Okay? And you may not know this about him, but he is a very good at plumbing. He's a very good plumber. I mean, not officially or anything. but So I was doing some uh, plumbing at my house. And my house is like a old 1920s house, you know, that's had, like, additions and all, like, you know, basement, attic, you know, all this different stuff, you know. But it's a really old house. And um, I, we were kind of doing some reconfiguring in, like, the laundry area, and I needed to just do some different plumbing. And I knew that Sam was good at it, and I pretty much learned how to do all my plumbing underneath these floors right here, by the way. So, <laughs> and... Uh, and so he said, sure. So he came over on Monday, like in the afternoon, and just for a couple of hours, helped help me do like some plumbing. And then like after, he was like, I got to go, you know, so I could finish it. But, you know, he got me started. And um, I have over here this pipe. This is from my house, okay? Also from the dumpster out there. Um, and this is a, give you a little plumbing lesson. This is galvanized steel here, okay? At this end right here is copper, okay? Copper's what you want, because it's better. Galvanized steel, they used to use it. You don't want it anymore. And the reason is that uh, this stuff, that just, okay, we don't need that. <laughs> this stuff right here, um, it, it rusts out in the middle. And uh, this stuff doesn't as much, you know? And they also have a different material called PEX. It's like plastic, and it's, it's good too. But this stuff right here is no bueno. And um, I had my house, someone, when they had done the adi additions, had put in this copper pretty much everywhere, um, except on the newest stuff, it had pecs. But there were still just a couple of sections that had this old galvanized steel pipe in it. And so my water, even though everywhere else is copper and everywhere else is pecs, still right where it came in, not from the street, that was all copper. But like right from there, just to the here, was just this couple of small sections of this galvanized steel pipe. And you guys can't see this. Well, let me see if, if they can see it on the Facebook Live. But you can't see this, but 
Like I'm holding this up to the light. I can't even see through it. Okay? And, and look at this. Like that, that's just rust, you know? And I don't know, what's weird is when I pulled it off, I kind of could see through it, but it was like so choked closed that hardly any water could even get through it. And that was running through all of my pipes in the whole house. It was running through. And if you turn the water off, you know, because then the water sits for a, a few minutes, and you turn it back on, what would come out of the pipes would be red and brown. Like, I don't know if I'm going to die soon because of this. <laughs> but we cut this out, okay? And um, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'll pass this around. How's that sound? If you um, are afraid, uh, if you haven't had a tetanus shot lately, you, you don't have to take it, or if you're afraid, but, um, but I'll pass it around so you can, you can touch it and stuff. But, um, like, I think a lot of times when we look at our lives, we see this pipe here, and, like, it's gross, right? Like, you look at it, and I'm, like, we, sometimes our lives look like this. You know, we've got these dirty pipes. And <laughs> I wasn't saying he had dirty pipes. That was an inside <laughs> joke. Okay. And what we do is we want to like, like scrub off all this paint, like old sheetrock material. I don't know who cleans this, but I'm sorry. Um, and we want to make it, yeah, hopefully this isn't lead paint. Kids, don't eat this. Okay, <laughs> like we want to scrape all this corrosion off and the, the, the grossness on the pipe. And, and you can do that. I, I know when you attach things, even to the copper here, you know, you take like a, a scraper and you like can clean it. And I'll tell you, the pipes, this pipe, if we were to take a wire brush and really clean it up, it would shine. It would look nice. It would look good. But the, the, on the outside, but the inside of this pipe, would still be rusted through. And I think when we want God to provide for us the manna, the miracle to get us out of our physical hunger or provide for us in this, that we don't have to face these trials or hard things, it's like just saying, like, God, we want this visible part to be clean. We want this visible part to get scraped up and get nice and get good again. But what Jesus is saying to the people who approach him are like, give us a sign, give us a miracle, let us see this manna, provide us bread, feed us. He's saying, you know what? You want me to provide you this outside thing. But if you will allow me, I will give you something entirely new on the inside. And the pipe on the outside may not look good or may look good, but it doesn't matter. What matters is what's on the inside of this. And in the same way, Jesus is saying to us, I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, if you believe in me, then I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new life. You will have, you will never be thirsty again. And I just wonder what would happen if we stopped asking God to prevent our suffering and allowed his redemptive work to happen in our lives. I wonder what would happen if instead of trying to clean the outside of our lives, because isn't that what we do? No matter how hard I scrub the outside of this pipe, I will never clean what's on the inside. 
And, and when we allow God, instead of asking him to clean up the outside, to give us a new heart, imagine what your life would look like with the refinement of God having his way in all of us. See, we want manna, but God wants for us redemption. And that's my desire for all of us today. So I'll let you guys, actually I won't pass it around. I'll just set it and let everyone look at it. But I'm going to close in prayer and then let everyone go. Lord, this morning we surrender our attempts at righteousness. We surrender to you our attempts to clean the outside of ourselves. We surrender to you our desire to have things easier, to avoid suffering, to avoid pain, to avoid, avoid hardships. And we allow the refinement of God to happen in our lives. God, we allow your perfect work in us. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us clean hearts. I pray that you would give us redemption. I pray, Jesus, that you would give your Holy Spirit to make us clean and new on the inside. And I pray this all now in your name, Jesus. Amen.